wisdom. All right, there we go. All right, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all again, and uh, we're going to continue by God's grace on our series. Uh, if you have missed some of them, you can. Go, I, I think they're all on online, so you can go online and listen to whatever parts you've missed. But again, um, as you've been hearing us say, this is an important series because it deals with why we were, why we were, why are we here? Like, what is this about? It's not just because it's Sunday. It's bigger than that. We're, we're God's called out people. And there's a design that God has for his church. And we've been looking at different metaphors, different pictures that God uses in his word that really help give us a better understanding of the relational aspect of God's church, the unity of God's church. The fact that everything that we do first must be centered in the person of Jesus Christ, right? He's the chief cornerstone. He is the chief shepherd. We are his people. Amen? And there's a way that he has called for us to interact as his people. And so we've been looking at the church as a building, right? Metaphors of buildings, metaphors of land, farmland, if you will, Paul planting, someone else watering, but God giving the increase. All of these different pictures to help us get a better understanding of what does God require of us as his people, as the church of God. It's not about man. It's not about my ministry, Pastor Emmanuel's ministry, no, 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 we, we, we are what? Paul said, account us as servants of Christ. And again, that, that, that's a powerful word that he uses because the word is slave. We are nothing but slaves of Jesus Christ. Amen? That means we do what the master says. That has tremendous implications. So, I trust and pray as we've been going through this that God is opening up your heart and mind to the seriousness of his church. And one of the things I mentioned last week is that God works through the gathering. He works through the gathering. It's not just about us coming together and worshiping and singing and God's devoid of it. Like God is in the presence of his people. I inhabit the praises of my people. So when I'm not with the gathering, you have to ask yourself, what am I missing? Right? It, it, it's not about being legalistic. Oh, you better come to church every Sunday. Or you, no, it's not about that. It's about what am I missing if I'm not gathering with God's people? If God designed this and God's working through it. And I think I share with you guys in the counseling context, oftentimes I will say to a Christian, who's struggling, one of the first questions I'll ask is, hey, so where do you fellowship? And it's amazing the answers I get. Usually the head goes down. That tells me what? You're not fellowshipping. And I'm not asking them that to be judgmental or make them feel bad. They crawled into the office. They already feel bad. I'm not trying to make them feel bad. But I'm trying to help them. And I'm trying to let them know that as a believer, God works through the body. Now, here's what we tend to do when we're struggling. For whatever reason or whatever might be going on, we tend to remove ourselves from the body. That's a trick of Satan. That's a trick of Satan. Get you to alienate yourself away from the body because what? Because this is God's design and this is where God says, I work through my people. So Satan tries to get us to say, well, I'm really struggling. I'm having a bad day. and You know what? So I'm just going to remove myself. And once you remove yourself, you ever notice it's easier to stay removed? Right? <laughs> it's, it's easy. I remember those days of just like, ah, I just don't feel like going. 
Um, I don't know if I share with you guys or not, but Monique and I, newly married, moved into this new place, and, and we just moved in like that Saturday, all day Saturday, we moved in. I remember we slept on the floor. We couldn't, we didn't have a bed set up. We slept on the mattress on the floor. So, yeah. So Sunday, morning rolls around. I'm like, you feel like going today? I didn't have any responsibilities in the church at that time. We were just attending, right? About 1 o'clock. Who's that? I look, and it's the pastor. I came back the morning. I said, um, pastor's at the door. And she, and she was like, what? And she runs, and she goes, and she's getting herself together. And I'm like, hey, how you doing, pastor? Good. <laughs> I'm like, did you leave the church? You know, but church had just ended, and he came right to our house. Now I'm gonna be honest with you. I felt a little something, something about that. I was like, really? You? What are you checking up on me? I mean, th- in my flesh, I really did. I felt like, wow. And so the house is a mess. There's boxes. We just moved in last night, and I'm like, oh, excuse me. You know, we didn't get a chance to set anything up yet. Um. And he's just standing there. And I said, you want to come in? Yeah, what's going on? So he sits down at the table and he says, no, I don't want to stay. I just, you and Monique okay? Uh, yeah. And then Monique comes up. Oh, hi, Pastor. He sits there and he says, okay. You know, um, just want to encourage you. You know, the, the fellowship is important. I'm like, what? Wait, hold on a minute. This is what I'm thinking in my head. I missed one Sunday? And you send the Gestapo police out? Are you kidding me? I was young and dumb in my faith. And I was just like, but he took the body seriously. And he took one of the, or two of the sheep are missing. And I'm thinking like, when he left, I don't know, Monique and I felt like we did something wrong. <laughs> We're sitting there just looking at, at each other. I just feel like we've got scolded, you know? Looking back 27 years later, not knowing what God was going to call me into the pastorate, I know exactly what he was doing. He had a love for the sheep. And he wanted to know, hey, is everything going? And he didn't judge us. And he's like, I just want to make sure you guys are okay. When he left, I said, after he left, come on, brother. (laughs) You You got to show up. He could have called. But anyway, the, the body is important is the point. And the shepherds have been commissioned by God to look out for the sheep. And as I said, we're going to give an account to God for that. You also will give an account to God for how we interacted among one another. So the church is important. It is God's design. Today, I want to just look at the image of the husband and wife. Because this is another image or metaphor that is used even going back to the Old Testament with Israel and Jehovah. And why did God use that image of the husband and the wife? Again, God is a relational God. And when we think about the dynamics of a husband and wife relationship, I want you to think of it in terms of God and the church. God being, Jesus being the groom, and us being the bride. Think in terms of that as we look at some of these verses. Because again, it'll give us an insight into the importance of this relationship. Amen? Father, I pray as we look at your word now, oh God, help us to Understand the richness of our relationship with you through Jesus. Open up our eyes, God. Help us to understand and see the love that you have for the church. And I pray that it would cause us to love you more and then to love one another more. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So let's look at Jeremiah 2. We're just going to look at a couple verses from the Old Testament. And then from the New Testament, 
And I want you to listen at the husband-wife metaphor, okay, that comes out in these verses. Jeremiah 2, 1 and 3. All right, there it is. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, talking about Israel, your love, here it is, as a bride. How you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown, Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. I love that. All who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. So here through the prophet of Jeremiah, he's talking to Israel. Israel right now is in disobedience. And Jeremiah says to them, listen, Jehovah it's saying, oh, I remember when you were so devoted to me. You were my bride. You were, you were not only devoted to me, but you showed it in your love as a bride. You followed me in the wilderness. Now, this is referring back to the Exodus when God brought Israel out of Egypt. What did he do? I, I wooed you out of Egypt. I'm using this language on purpose, right? Keep the, keep the metaphor in your head, right? I came and rescued you as my bride, and you loved me. You worshiped me. You were obedient to me. And notice what he says. Israel was holy to the Lord. You were set apart for me. Picture the bride. I remember when I first saw Monique, and you know, people say, well, men don't cry. But no, real men do cry. Real men cry, right? And I remember I'm sitting there, and I'm standing there, I'm standing next to Pastor Malone. Will was one of my best men, and we're standing there, and, and you know, the door is open. I was like, well, I mean, I, you, got, you got rubbery feet, right? You guys are married, know the feeling. And then the music started, and she started coming down. I was like, oh, boy, here I are. Don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. You're beautiful. And she's just smiling, and I'm just like, oh, man, can we just skip all of this? <laughs> y'all y'all get some cake. <laughs> we out. But, but this beautiful picture, Israel, you were set apart. You were holy. You were my chosen bride. And look at this, the first fruits of his harvest. I love that. You think about a harvest, that first ripe tomato that comes out. Wow, it's beautiful. That first one is a sign of what? There's more coming. There's more coming. KK and I planted a garden, I don't know, it was a couple years ago, and we kept going out checking, 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 checking. And finally, oh, look, a little green ball. Oh, oh, they're coming. They're coming. Right? And then more came, and then more came. Israel was the first fruits, God's chosen people, but there were going to be more coming. All of us. <laughs> you see the picture? You, you were my first fruit. I chose you first. You were my bride. And anybody... Look at the metaphor. All who ate of it incurred guilt. In other words, anyone who messed with my fruit, I destroyed. God, Jehovah, had Israel's back. You see the relationship? You're my bride. I protected you. You loved me. You were obedient to me. And all the enemies I kept away from you. Just like when I walked the streets of Philly with my bride, Monique. You're always looking. Hey, don't look too hard, bro. What you looking at? What you looking at? Right? You protect that bride. Israel had this relationship. 
notice, all who ate of it incurred guilt or any, any of the enemies that came against Israel, the bride of Yahweh. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. So even from the very beginning of God's relationship with Israel, he likens it to what? A husband and a bride. <laughs> Beautiful picture. Beautiful picture. Look at Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. Wow, now what's going on here? We know the history of Israel. They were this beautiful bride that God married, if you will, protected, loved, and then they turned on God. They became disobedient to their lover. They began to worship idols. They tried to worship Yahweh along with Baal. They polluted the marriage. They committed adultery. What does God do? He sends them into exile to Jerusalem. So we have this beautiful picture of a marriage that started coming out of Egypt, wandering in the wilderness, God providing. But shortly after, all the way over to Mount Sinai, and they get the law, all these things, yes, we will obey. And then what happened? They forsook the Lord. Wow. And through the prophet Isaiah, he says what? For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. In other words, God is going to keep his covenant with them, even though they sinned. His mercy is love. Notice, notice this is interesting how Isaiah says it. And the reproach, the shame of your widowhood. Now, usually a widow is what? One of the spouses died. God didn't die. They're called a widow because they forsook God. Wow. But notice what he says in verse 5. For your maker is your husband. Beautiful. <laughs> the Lord of hosts is his name. You... You forsook me, you went after other gods, you became an adulterous people, but I'm still your husband. <laughs> Man, if that doesn't have implications for marriage, right? I just told somebody recently, I, I was at a function last night, and they said, hey, Ron, I haven't seen him. How's Monique? I love it when people ask the first question they ask me. How's Monique? I, you know, I looked both ways. Monique is doing great. <laughs> and they said, how long have you guys been married? I said, well, if God tarries, it'll be 29 years. And they said, wow. I said, I know. They said, why do you say it like that? I said, I'm so blessed. God has given her the grace to stay with me 29 years. But think about all, and we don't have time to unpack it all, but look at all that Israel did in neglecting God. After all Christ did, all Jehovah did, bringing them through, giving them food in the wilderness, protecting them from their enemies, and then they go, the Bible says, whoring after other gods. See the language that he uses? But he says, your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. Wow. You see the salvation of God 
the love of God for his people, even with their unfaithfulness. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth. He is calling you. Let's keep reading. For the Lord has called you like a what? Wife. There it is again. Deserted and grieved in spirit. Like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. She's in a bad position, that person, by her own willful disobedience. Stay with the analogy. Once a wife has violated the marriage vow, in the Old Testament, the husband could put her away. Remember when Joseph found out Mary was pregnant? What did he seek to do? Put her away. He could get a divorce from her. See, when they got betrothed, it was as if you were married. It was you, you were married. If you're betrothed to somebody, you're married. You're as good as married. And he sought to put her away. Keep that in mind. Israel, God's wife, cheats on Yahweh. And Yahweh says, I'm going to restore you. Oh. That's love. That's love. Listen at what he says in verse 7. For a brief moment I deserted you. He allowed them to be driven into exile because of their disobedience. Shows us something about love. True love is not void of what? Distance. If you truly love someone, you'll discipline them. Right? Hebrews says, if God does not discipline us as his children, we are illegitimate children. Whoa. You see, it's amazing when you get into God's word how all these principles are just united from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But here, notice what he says. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. This is God, stay with the metaphor, running after an adulterous Israel and wooing her back, bringing her back. Why? Watch this. Not because of her faithfulness, because of his faithfulness, the covenant he made. Remember, Israel is so important. Why? Because through Israel, who's coming? Jesus. So God said, I'm going to be faithful to you, even with your unfaithfulness. Let's, let, let, let's fast forward a little bit. 2023, we're sitting here. We know Jesus Christ through his death, resurrection. Amen? Through his blood. It is finished. Our sins are paid for, right? We, you and I now, are the bride. Right? Follow the analogy. How many times do you fail him? Right? And guess what? He never forsakes you. Just like he never forsook Israel, he never forsakes us who are his bride. Do you see the parallels here? That's why he said that no one will be able to pluck you out of my Let's go back. Look at what he says. Verse 7, for a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you in overflowing anger for a moment. There's the key word, for a moment. <laughs> God says he was angry at them. I hid, hid my face from you because of their disobedience. God doesn't overlook sin. The wages of sin is death, right? Thank God that the wrath of God was poured out on Christ so that our sin debt is forever paid for. Amen to that. That's why we just celebrated 
the cup, the bread, because that blood paid for all my sins. Forever you will be with Christ because of what Christ did. Amen? Now, that being said, does that mean I can live any kind of way? No. If I don't walk according to the precepts and commandments of God, I will be disciplined by God. Some Christians get that wrong. Oh, it's all under the blood. Well, hold on. You better change that behavior. No, even for this, Jesus died. Well, yes, well, that doesn't mean that you, what does is, what is Romans say? Should you just keep sinning so that you can say it's all under the blood, it's all by the grace of God? No. My life ought to look more like Jesus every day I walk. And when I fail, Father, forgive me. I'm already forgiven through Christ, amen? But step by step, I should be, Father, forgive me. Forgive me for that attitude. Forgive me for what I did. Forgive me for this. I didn't treat Monique right. I didn't treat my kids right, my teachers. Lord, help me, Lord. Help me to be more like Jesus. Now, in those failures, I don't lose my salvation because my salvation is secure in what Jesus did. Notice he says, for a brief moment, he deserted him. And for a brief moment, he had overflowing anger. And he hid his face from him. Wow. It's the discipline of a loving father. Look at the end of this verse, though. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you says the Lord, your Redeemer. Beautiful, beautiful picture of Jehovah and the bride in Israel. Look at Hosea 2. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me, what? My husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal. Wow. Again, they went off and start worshiping other gods. They tried to do what's called synchronism, right? They tried to say, well, we got Jehovah. We know he is powerful God. Well, let's add some other gods to him. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine worshiping Jehovah and then setting up an idol over here and worshiping an idol at the same time? What are you doing? What are you doing? Let me tell you what this is analogous to. It would be like Monique coming home. Hey, babe. Oh, hey, babe. How was your day? Oh, it was good. How was yours? Oh, it was good. Oh, uh, I, I, I want you to meet uh, Tamika. Tamika, come on out here. Can you imagine? Oh, and then uh, tell Roxanne to come over. Yeah, oh, and there's uh, Terry. Come on out, Terry. Yeah, so she would look at me and say, boy, are you crazy? <laughs> oh, well, no, I just wanted to add some other wives to the mix, you know? We can all get the long, you know, we can, right? I probably wouldn't live to tell that story. You know, as they're walking around the house in handcuffs, it's heard that his, he, was, he was a pastor, and apparently he uh, got other wives, and Monique just, right? I mean, come on, like, how, how ridiculous is that? How ludicrous is that? How shameful is that? This is what Israel did. You're trying to be married to Jehovah, while you're worshiping other gods. Wow. This is what they did spiritually. And yet God still pursued them. Why? Because of his covenant that he made with them. Wow. But he says, for I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall remember by name no more. In other words, it's a promise of restoration. And God did bring them out of exile. He did bring them out. And he did ultimately bring them to the land of Canaan. But even then, what did they do? <laughs> Same thing we do. <laughs> right? Look at Hosea 2, 18. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. 
and I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. Hosea is prophesying a time of peace, a time where not only is it going to be good for the people, but, but, but creation, the beast of the field, like no more killing, no more fighting. And I will make you lie down in safety. Again, he's talking to a people that deserted him. A people that after all his faithfulness just didn't love him. Notice what he says in 19. And I will betroth you to the man of your love. I'm bringing the marriage analogy in here. Wait, 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 hold on. You're going to betroth? An adulteress to you? See, this is countercultural. You don't, no, Israel has failed. Israel is out of the covenant relationship. But look at the word he uses I will betroth you to me forever. Wow. Do you know that you only betroth in this context in the ancient Near East? You betroth who? A maiden, a virgin. Oh, man, you, you, you got to see the weight of this marriage analogy here. They have committed adultery. They left Jehovah. And he says, I'm going to bring you back. And I'm going to betroth myself to you. What? That's the mercy and forgiveness of God. In other words, I'm going to marry you, bring you back into the marriage relationship as if you were a virgin. Whoa, that's everything I did. That's the love of God. That's the, oh, if we will love one another like that, oh my goodness, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and injustice. He's talking to Israel. In steadfast love and in mercy. Third time. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Wow. And you shall know the Lord. This is God taking the initiative, not Israel. They are in a state of adultery, adulterous people, worshiping other idols, thumbing their nose up, if you will, at God. And God says, you know what? I'm going to bring you back. <laughs> I'm going to betroth myself to you. And all of these characteristics, I will betroth you, right? Look, th these these adjectives, in righteousness and in justice. In other words, but how is that possible? How can you do that after what we've done? There's no righteousness in us. You're right. I'm going to do that. This is my character enabling our relationship. You see it pointing to Calvary? <laughs> I, I don't have any righteousness in and of myself. None of us do. Why, why are we in relationship with God? Because you brought something to the table? No, because of his righteousness. You are the bride of Christ because of what Jesus did on the cross, not because of what you did. We were like Israel, gone astray, desperately wicked, not seeking God. And God said, I'm going to marry you. <laughs> Got me laughing like you now. <laughs> This is beautiful. This is beautiful. And that's why the New Testament writer says what? We have the righteousness of Christ. Israel. This is a glimpse of God talking to Israel through the prophet Hosea. A glimpse of what you and I are now experiencing in Jesus. Beautiful. His righteousness and justice. His steadfast love and mercy. His faithfulness. That's why we're the bride of Christ. Nothing we've done. 
all that he did like all that he did for Israel. Do you see the picture? It's beautiful. Let's keep moving. Let's jump to the New Testament. Look at John 3. There's so many more in the Old Testament, but we got to keep moving or this series will never end. John 3, 25, 27. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over per, uh, purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. Okay, so follow, follow the story here. So this is, this is John and John's disciples, and there's a dispute here among John's disciples and a Jew over purification. So they come to John, and they're like, this one over here, look, he's baptized. Who are they referring to? Jesus. Look at he's John, you're John the Baptist. What's he doing? Look at John's answer in 27. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. They probably were like, huh? <laughs> What's that have to do with Jesus baptizing rather than you baptizing? Let's keep reading. You yourselves bear me witness, this is John speaking, that I said, I am not the Christ. Ooh. John saying, worried about Jesus baptizing? I came to point to him. Nobody can do anything except through the Father. This is who the Father sent. What happened when Jesus was baptized? The voice came from heaven, the Father saying, what? My son? Well done. They didn't get it. Now this is John defending why it's not an issue that Jesus is baptizing, <laughs> right? Notice, he said, when I was with you, I told you I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. Here's marriage analogy again. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. In other words, the bride belongs to who? The bridegroom. Who's the bridegroom? Jesus. Again, understand, in the Gospels, the whole idea of the church and all of that is not fully realized yet, right? That's going to come in Acts. But you start to see the glimpses of it right here. John said, this is the groom. I'm a, I'm a, okay. This is the groom I've been talking about. Well, if there's a groom, the next thing that you logically say is, that, well, if there's a groom, where's the, where's the bride? <laughs> Those are going to be the disciples, the true followers. Do you see what, what, what God is setting up here? Jesus is the groom who is about to go to a cross and die for a bride. <laughs> I, I, do you see it? We become the bride of Christ through what? His death and resurrection. They, they have such a small vision here of what's going on. Uh, he's, he, he's baptizing people. You're missing the whole big picture of what's going on here. Look at what he says. I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. Watch this. The friend of the bridegroom, that will be John, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. <laughs> you see what's going on? You guys are coming to me like I'm the main attraction. John the Baptist is like, I'm not the main attraction. It's the groom. <laughs> I'm just rejoicing that I got to announce him. Let me give you an analogy. William was thrilled that he got to be my best man. 
Can I get an amen? All right. <laughs> Nobody walked up to him and said, um, I can't believe you guys came up here being you know, like, this, this should be about you, man. You, you're a good brother. You work hard. You do stuff. What are you talking about? This ain't about me. This is about the groom. He's about to get married. You, you, you see what John is saying? John said, I'm just rejoicing. Watch this. That I just got to hear the groom's voice. <laughs> you know how you felt when I spoke to you standing there before we got married? In fact, I just, I got, you know, I mean, think about it. Look at the marriage analogy. Everybody's sitting in the audience watching Monique and I get married, right? And you're like, oh, don't they look so handsome? Got their tuxedos. I had a white tuxedo. I had a white tuxedo. And William's standing right next to me, looking good, right? We're looking good, just standing there, right? Everybody's like, man, I wish we were up there. John's like, I'm just so happy to be, like, standing next to the groom. It's about him. Yeah, but John, what about you? He's baptizing more disciples than you. Come on, he's, it's not about me, it's about him, people. Wow. Notice what he says. I rejoice greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Wow. It's like I got the privilege to announce the groom. I'm out. And I'm full. And I'm grateful. Oh, my goodness, this is a beautiful thing going on here. And then he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. At my wedding, the focus was on Monique and me as the bride and groom. True or false? False. At my wedding, the focus was all on Monique, the bride. It's the bride they stand up for when she hits that door. And they're like, oh, whoa. I got like, click. Where's Monique? The whole reception, where's Monique? I don't know, but, but I'm, I'm the groom. Okay, I'll get a picture with y'all later. Where's Monique? Click, click, click. Everybody was enamored with the bride. John says, I must increase, or he must increase, I must decrease. It's not about me. Oh, man, these are beautiful pictures. All right, we got to keep moving. This is good stuff. Matthew 9. Look, look at Matthew 9. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Again, another allusion to marriage. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. See, this is where, again, they say, how come your disciples aren't fasting? We're fasting. They're not. They missed it. Jesus is like, listen, listen, listen. Can the wedding guests mourn while the bridegroom, the groom is with them? That's the time to party. We haven't, it's like when, when, when Will was at my wedding, he wasn't doing work. He wasn't on his computer. Oh, I, I, I gotta, I gotta. Well, I just gotta do a couple balance sheets, and then I'll be in the reception. No, it was all about what the celebration, right? He was all in. He was at the table. He was talking. Okay, we're gonna do the speeches now. Okay, now we're gonna do this, right? That's not the time to. to what, what would that have looked like? I'm standing up there, and here come my best man, and 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 and, and he's in his overall mechanical stuff. Well, how y'all doing? Yeah. I just want to get some work done while, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pull that transmission out, and, and then I'll come back. How ludicrous would that be? This is what Jesus is saying. You guys are worried about my disciples doing these spiritual disciplines of fasting, which is important. But um, why do we fast? That we might get spiritually in tune with God and be cleansed and all, right? All, all that spiritual stuff. Jesus is like, um, but I'm right here. <laughs> How come they're not over there praying? Who are they praying to? Well, see, my disciples are praying to God. Yeah, but I'm right here. 
<laughs> they don't have to. What are you going to pray for? I'm right here. But again, he's using the, the wedding analogy. In the Jewish wedding, just like our weddings today, there was a celebration. And the wedding guests participated in the celebration. It was a time not to work because you were invited by the guests. Oh, there's so many illusions here, right? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. Remember, he said it to the 12. And then they will gather. Not now. They're in the presence of the groom. All right, we're going we're gonna to end with this. Now, with, with, with that marriage analogy in our minds, look, look at this next one. Husbands, love your wives. Here it is again. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church, church is who? The bride, to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she, that's the church, might be holy and without Do you see the culmination of this wedding metaphor? Jesus is the groom. But Jesus is God in the flesh. Amen? So his sacrifice is the only one that appeases the wrath of God. Are you following? Jesus, as our Savior, takes the wrath of God upon himself in order that we might be cleansed so that then he can marry us. Because <laughs> we're now purified. We're a virgin bride, if you will. Oh, my goodness, it's a beautiful thing. Yahweh calls out Israel and purifies her. She did nothing. It was all on Yahweh. You did nothing. It was all on Jesus. And he says, now you're fit to be called my bride. Oh, we ought to rejoice in that. And one day, we're going to sit down at something called what? The marriage supper of the Lamb. The wedding reception like you've never had with the bride, us, in the presence of our groom, Christ. What a beautiful picture, guys. How much should that impact not only the way we live individually, but corporately? Because we all make up his bride. Remember we said theology has practical outworking. I really believe he's, he's my groom. I live in my life in a way that it's, it's worthy of the gospel. It's, it's reflecting upon what he did for me on the cross. That's why Ephesians and Colossians both are going to say, live your life worthy of the gospel in a manner worthy of the gospel. In other words, are we as individuals and corporately are we living like the bride of Jesus? Praise God for his love. God, I thank you, oh God, that we can stand before you. And Father, that we can call ourselves the bride of Christ because he washed our sins away. He died in our and God, we've been reconciled to you, our Holy Father, through the blood of Christ, through his resurrection, through the atonement. And we stand totally purified, clean, oh God.
to Jesus Christ. Thank you that we can call ourselves your children because of what he has done. I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would live our lives in a manner that reflects that Jesus is indeed our groom. <laughs> that we do belong to Jesus. Oh God, that we are not living outside of that covenantal relationship. That we are not going after the things of this world. We are not setting up idols in our lives. We are sold out to Jesus. He is our Redeemer. So God, work these truths in our hearts. Show us those things we need to put out of our lives. Oh God, that we might continue to walk in a manner that is pleasing to you. In light of our great salvation, may our life more and more align with what you desire. God, our love for you first and our love for one another. Thank you so much for the cross. We thank you, God, for your word. In Christ's name.